Hear these words from Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as is the habit of some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of God for the people of God. No one disputes that church attendance has been in decline for the last number of years, but it's not as straightforward as it seems. According to Tom Rayner, the author of one of the books that the SPRC members read, the number one reason for the decline in church attendance is that members attend with less frequency than they did a few years ago. He said, about 20 years ago, a church member was considered active in the church if he or she attended three times a week. Today, a church member is considered active in the church if he or she attends three times a month. So a large part of the change isn't fewer believers as much as it is less consistent worship. Pastor Carrie Newoff gives a number of reasons this trend is continuing to increase. He said that families are putting a higher focus on kids' activities, Um, For example, when I was a child, schools didn't hold events on Sundays, and kids weren't on traveling teams. More regularly, the commitment cuts into church. Um, He also suggested that blending and single-parent families often have to split the amount of time that families can spend at church. Um, Newoff also pointed out that online options for spiritual growth resources have changed our worship habits. Uh, Finally, he suggested that people just don't feel guilty about missing church anymore. I'm glad about that last one. Um, Conviction is from God, but guilt isn't. Uh, So while the Holy Spirit may convict you and urge you to get to, to church for your own good and for your own growth, guilt isn't a great reason to be there. Um, But there are some really good reasons. Many ministers are concerned about the trends, the downward trend, and they're disgusted and they're frustrated with these changes in culture. Um, But I have to admit that these trends don't help with my feelings, or I have to admit these trends don't help very much with my feelings of job security. Um, But I'm not afraid, I'm not worried, and I'm certainly not disgusted. These are the times that you and I have been given. God could have made me a minister at any time in the history of his church. He could have placed you in his church at any of those times as well. But he put each of us here. First Chronicles 12 lists the mighty men and warriors who came to fight with and to help King David. In verse 32, it mentions, From Ishachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. Maybe this verse simply means that these men understood the times in such a way they knew David was a better choice than Saul. Perhaps it meant that these men had a deep understanding of fighting, human nature, or even politics. Either way, I think this verse shows us that we can ignore the times around us and watch them pass us by or we can understand the times in which God has put us and respond to those times with wisdom. Just as the men from Ishashar put their lot in with David's success, 
I can tell you that I am putting my lot in with the church for this time in history. I don't know if there's ever been a time in history when God's church has been so relevant and so deeply needed. Speaking of job security, has there ever been a time when the church has had this much work to do? Uh, One of the reasons I have such great hope for the church is that Jesus established it and promised that it would prevail no matter the times or the circumstances it faces. When Peter rightly identified Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus responded by saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In this message in Matthew, where Jesus established the Christian church, the Greek word translated as church is ecclesia, which is a local assembly or gathering. It's interesting to note that the word church in the Bible never refers to a building. It's always a gathering of people. So these buildings that we have are not the church. You and I are the ecclesia, We are the local gathering in the name of Jesus. The Greek word for Peter is Petros. The Greek word for rock is Petra. So Jesus was using Peter's name as a play on words. It would be like if your name was Rocky and Jesus said to you, You are Rocky, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus is the foundation of everything the church does. The church is built on the platform and foundation of Christ, and Peter is the first stone used in the building. Peter declared, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. What a distinction! Because we have made that same declaration, we know that we are also part of Jesus' church. What tremendous power and responsibility Jesus gave the church! In verse 19, Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now we know that only God can forgive sins, and only God can save people. So this isn't the power to go down a line and say, You're saved, saved, you're not saved, nope, yep, definitely no. So what does it mean that we as the church have the power to bind and loose things on earth and in heaven? Let's say that the gospel is a loaded 2020 Mustang Shelby. It has within it all the power it needs to do the work it's going to do. You can't make this car go faster or perform better by opening up the door and pushing along the street with one foot. It has the power. Now imagine Jesus comes up to you and says, Here are the keys, my child. Where are you going to take it? That's what I think this passage is saying. The power is to bring freedom and to break chains, and that is found in the gospel. The gospel doesn't need us, but Jesus values you so much. Jesus wants to be in relationship with you so deeply, and he wants you to be part of his work. So he says, here's the gospel. Here are the keys. Where are you going to take it? 
the church has the authority to bring the full power and truth of heaven to a hurting and sinful world, or we can park it in the garage. As long as the Lord allows me to have influence in these churches, the part of the ecclesia that I'm in, the gathering that contains me, will not pull the gospel out of the garage to give it a buff and a shine, listen to the engine purr, and then take it back inside so it doesn't get dirty. As far as I have influence, we're going to take the keys, come screaming out of the driveway, put the pedal down, and see what this gospel of Jesus Christ has under the hood. We're going to see what the freeing power of Jesus can really do in our community and our world. It might get a little messy. It might get a chip in the windshield. It might get a ding in the side. But this car is meant to be driven. We have been given the keys to the kingdom, so we are going to take it forward by His power, under the protection of His grace, and through the leading of His Spirit, so that what is loosed here on earth by His power may be loosed in heaven for all eternity, and the gates of hell will not stand against us. I have heard a lot of people say they hate organized religion and I understand why. Throughout history, we have forgotten our mission and our purpose. We thought the church was about structure and a hierarchy, what actually it was about the people that we were called to reach. The best thing about organized religion is that it organizes. When we organize, we can get things done. God has called us to gather together to find ways to live and share and spread the truth and the power of the gospel. We have a common mission and call. We can't complete it without each other. In Romans 12, 4 through 6, Paul says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. You can get some things done all by yourself, but it's like a thumb without a hand or fingers. In the end, a thumb by itself isn't good for much beyond sticking it in one of your ears as a plug, but in conjunction with fingers, There is no end to the things your thumb can grasp and open and move and pull and shape. It's the same way with the body of Christ. Our different gifts working with each other open up ministry and gospel opportunities that we could never imagine on our own. We can't be all where you can't be all you're created to be without me. I can't be all I'm created to be without you. The trends may say that church attendance is down, but we don't have to be subject to the trends of our culture. In fact, we are called to change and shape our world together with the power of the gospel. It's the power that God gives us when we come together. That's why God tells us in Hebrews 10 verse 25, not to give up meeting together as is the habit of some. I am not asking you to add another thing to your already busy life. I'm suggesting that we all make the work of the kingdom of God a priority in our lives, since it's the only work that really matters. 
one essential expression and work of that priority is for us to keep meeting together, hopefully very soon. Our need to gather does not, uh, gets beyond what we get done or what we do. It actually affects who we are and what we become. We find in the Bible that the followers of Jesus are meant to be fueled by, equipped by, and connected to the local church. You don't have to go to Grace or to New Bethel, but the Bible says that we should be connected to some church. In Colossians 3.16, Paul said, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The message of Christ dwells among us. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. We are called to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, to experience greater freedom in His Spirit, and to undergo a more complete transformation into his likeness. But what did you see about how that happens? The next line shows us, as you teach and admonish one another. Admonish means to caution, correct, or urge. This is both frightening and at the same time a powerful thing about coming together regularly. We are all a little home blind. There are ways that we are all a little off and maybe even a little wrong. We all have different blind spots, different experiences, different strengths and weaknesses, and we're used to doing things and seeing things our own way. If you want to grow to the next level in the way you follow Jesus, you have to get beyond your own voice and your own interpretation of God's word. I'm not saying that that's an easy thing to do, but when is going beyond average ever been easy? And when is being sold out and being all in ever been comfortable? Uh, Church meeting or assembly is important for our growth, our unity, and our purpose. No wonder the Bible so clearly tells us that we should not forsake it. When we gather together, I would bet I seldom tell you something that you don't already know at some level. In fact, if I say something that most of you have never considered, it's probably somewhat questionable. It reminds me of that couple uh, that is having problems remembering things. During a checkup, the doctor tells them that they're physically okay, but that they might want to start writing things down to help remember. Later that night, while watching TV, the man gets up from his chair. Want anything while I'm in the kitchen, he asks. Will you get me a bowl of ice cream? Sure. Don't you think you should write it down so you can remember it, she asks. No, I can remember a bowl of ice cream. Well, I'd like some strawberries on top, too. Maybe you should write it down. He says, I can remember that. You want a bowl of ice cream with strawberries. I'd also like whipped cream. I'm certain you're going to forget that. Write it down, she says. Irritated, he says, I don't need to write it down. I can remember it. Ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream, for goodness sake. After about 20 minutes, the man returns from the kitchen and hands his wife a plate of bacon and eggs. She stares at the plate for a moment and asks, Where's my toast? Like the couple, 
One of our biggest problems is that we need constant reminders of the truth. There's so much in this world that is questioning and contradicting and attacking the truth. When we gather here, we're reminded of the truth of God's Word, the truth of who God is, and the truth of who we are in Jesus. I'm not concerned with how many people attending church uh, less often makes our attendance lower. I'm concerned that if we forsake meeting together, the truth will quietly slip from the forefront of our minds and will almost imperceptibly buy into and live according to the lies of the world. It amazes me how quickly I can forget or question God's goodness, God's power, and God's love, and God's involvement in my life. Gathering with you each week keeps my life on track with what I believe in my heart. We also gather together to bring real help and support for life's difficulties. Is there anyone other than me who has found out that life is hard? The truth is that all of us are going to go through the ringer at some time in some way. When the tough times come for you, I want your church family to be there for you. When the tough times come for me, I want you to be there for me. What a beautiful thing it is when we gather together and extend the grace and the care of God to one another. There's an even more important reason for us to gather together every week. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about our Creator and Savior. Every week we gather, we pray, we read His Word, and we sing songs of worship. We gather to worship God because He is worthy of praise. First Chronicles 16.29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. We need to worship God. To worship is to declare who God is and what place He has in our lives. As we make that declaration, our hearts and minds line up with the truth of our worship. Worship actually transforms us. C.S. Lewis said, In the process of being worshipped, God communicates His presence to men. As we worship together, we draw nearer to God. As you can see in the Bible, any human who comes close to God leaves forever changed. Jesus told us in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. We gather together to draw near to God. This gathering is an essential part of our personal relationship with Him. But even if worship did absolutely nothing for us, we should still gather to worship God for no other reason than that He deserves it. A.W. Tozer said, Sometimes I go to God and say, God, if thou dost never answer another prayer while I live on this earth, I will still worship thee as long as I live and in the ages to come for what thou hast done already. God already put me so far in debt that if I were to live one million millenniums, I couldn't pay him for what he's done for me. 
God is not suffering from low self-esteem where he needs our worship. He's not lacking our praise. He simply deserves it. Our time together provides an opportunity for us to express our thanks to our Savior. There is nothing like the church when it's working right, and that's the And that's why there is little that is as sickening and pathetic and tragic as the church when it is not working right. Is there anything more disappointing than a gathering of believers who have decided to park the gospel in the garage to keep it clean and safe and pure? What an amazing honor and trust and privilege God has given us. Do you see how highly he thinks of you as part of this ecclesia, this gathering of believers? It's our job to do our very best to make sure it's working right. But it only works right when we understand that the church isn't a building. It certainly isn't a pastor. It's not a denomination. It's not a staff or elders. It is a gathering an assembly of followers of Jesus who are united by their love for him. A church that's working right is a church where every individual in the gathering takes his or her place in the ecclesia with the determination to take the keys of the kingdom and to charge forward with the gospel of Jesus for the glory of his name and for the freedom of his people. For the sake of the health of our churches, for the sake of your own growth, for the sake of those we are called to reach, I want to challenge you to be the church with me every week virtually and very soon in person. Let's gather together every week so that we can be the church that he has called us to become. Amen.